back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast, where we, too, at times, have to say that our mortal enemy is the sun. What? I, I, disappointing. Beyond as much of the spin that the NHL has put out, like, at least we try, like, it's better to go big or go home, and, like, all the, like, these are the NHL employee who's got, employees who got hurt slipping on ice that day and continue to work all day through and the night through it, the pain before going to the hospital and things like that. I'm like, I don't understand how this is like better. Like, <laughs> well, I don't know. Here's it, my it defense. Felt- here's my defense of it because I will defend at least the attempt because I do think that it was a good. I, I think it was a good idea in principle, and I think but, that. But, but okay, can we define the attempt? The attempt of going to Lake Tahoe this year and doing it, yes. The attempt of not just moving the game a few hours later in the morning when they knew it was going to be crap, no. Okay, that's no, what I, I, that's I, what I give. I give as I say. I separate. Should have just moved the... them both to seven. At, I mean, because they delayed the Flyers game. Bef- they decided to delay the Flyers game bef- and the Bruins game before the Avs game started. At that. At that moment in time, they should have just delayed both of them. 100% agree with you. I don't know why they didn't just schedule it for 8 and o'clock from, for both and games. And for that reason, they completely nerfed what would have been such a success story. Well, I remember the now first hour now they have of the game. Work really hard to chug it and turn it into a success story. Yeah, yeah. The the first hour, I mean, my entire timeline was like, this is cool. They should never do a stadium again. And then the next hour is everybody making jokes about Gary Bettman being a vampire. Uh, so it shows you how quick hockey Twitter can turn. I thought again, it was a good idea in principle. They executed it really badly because. I think part of it also is, like, they always deal with the sun at these games, but I don't know exactly, because the only other time we saw a really major issue with an outdoor game was the one that got delayed by the rain, and that was the Capitals-Penguins game 10 years ago. But, I mean, I guess it was the sun or the angle, because they usually can do these games and they get away with it, so I think it was just the particulars of doing it where they did it. I don't know. The, the point it, was, being, it was just not listening. It was just not reacting properly to the new information as it was coming in. In years past, they have reacted properly or they've lucked out and not been in a situation where they've needed to react properly. But, I mean, that ice can be unspeakably dangerous when it oh, is it was. like that. It was. And, I mean... Like, there is a lot about... I don't understand why they let they finish the period. I mean, there is a lot I've... Like, how can they say that they care about the safety of players, blah, blah, blah. When they had to and play I know that ice. some players wanted to keep playing, and I know that some players, you know, would have said, you know... But it's not... The players are... Their job is to play through pain, play through adversity, play through whatever, and always want to play. So you can't take their word for it. No, um, they're, and, they're robots in that regard. Yeah, and which is, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to take that out of the game or whatever, or make a pejorative statement on it, whatever. I'm just saying that's how it is. I mean, for for what happened, for what happened when they eventually played the the Sunday game, the the Flyer game, like it did look cool. Like with right. the sunset, but, not, like it just should have been done initially then, that, at that but point. Then we go to that game, and that game looked cool and was really fun for one team. 
but was completely unfair to the Flyers. And I, and I don't really mean to complain because in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's one game and it doesn't really matter. Um, but given the Flyers' corona situation, missing all of their stars, I there was just so much lining up that this game, that game was just going to be a complete throwaway. They weren't allowed to practice on the ice. So for the first time, an NHL team that, I mean, the first time in probably modern history that an NHL team plays on an ice surface that it's never really touched before. Like, and, and when we're talking outside, that's, you know. Yeah, because they usually have practices work. on the ice the yeah. day or day before uh, for most yeah, of these outdoor games. Skates, they have multiple times touching that ice and getting a consistency of, you know, what this ice, how this responds, where the boards are, how the sun hits it. I mean, like, you know, Carter, Carter Hart is not having a great year, and throwing him out under that circumstance with those sight lines and did drastically changing. I mean, he it sh- he should have got a chance to be on that ice and see how the you know worked and been able to take some more shots and and all that. Um, because he had he had three stages of the sun in all three periods, and you know they're switching sides back and forth. It is like it every shot, the whole good in principle, like, very bad execution, I would say. But I I, I yeah. think that what the NHL needs to learn from this is, you know, not to not do a thing that's risky. That's not what they should learn. What they should learn is we really have to say every eventuality has got to be covered because they didn't really deal with something like this in particular for other outdoor games, but they had to know, they had a better chance to know it was coming because they should have seen it on Friday. Like, um, guys, we should maybe move the game. And I know they wanted the window on NBC and that's stupid. You cannot let that sort of situation get in the way of, you know, having a situation where you have to stop the game in the middle because it looked terrible. And it couldn't, you couldn't play on it. It was, it was a goat path on ice, and that's not acceptable. So I hope the NHL tries a game like this again. I hope that they, you know, they re, rejigger you know, the thought process behind it to execute it better in the future because I think something like this could be cool, and it should be an event that they bring out of their back pocket when they need you know, to do something a little bit different because I think the traditional outdoor game as we know it is, is definitely stale at this point. And there's no doubt about that, but they're going to still run them because they make millions and millions of dollars running them in these stadiums. They just need to find a way to, to freshen them up. And I thought this was yeah. a good idea to do it. And I'm not just saying that because we may be closer than ever to the Panthers lightning outdoor game, which is something that needs to happen. But I'm saying this because I think that an idea like this is good. It's something that only hockey can do. No other sport can do something like this, but the NHL uh, has to execute it better. Yeah. But unfortunately I think, it shows that we're probably further away from that unless those two teams are be playing at like Yellowstone or something like that. I or mean, like a, on the idea a, of doing it at Lake or, Louise, or like Oilers Flames, something like the, that. In the New York, you know, like, yeah. I, 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 I think that there is, I mean, there is an ice issue in South Florida under a roof in temperature control building. There is. I'm saying so, that I think they're likely would, if they were going to do an outdoor game between the Panthers and Lightning, they'd do it at Raymond James Stadium. Like, if you did that game on a Saturday night in February, which is when they would do I don't do even the know game. who Raymond James is. That's in Tampa. 
So it's the Bucs Stadium where the Super Bowl just was. But the point is with that is if you did it at night, if you did it in February, you have a better chance of succeeding than you would if you did it at any other time. So that's why I'm thinking like it could happen. I also would advocate for it to be at Hard Rock, but I don't think they would do that. I think it would have to be in Tampa because I mean, they'd be worried about I think attendance. Tampa deserves to be the home team for yeah, that yeah. one. I mean, but, but I, I, mentioned, I mentioned what they did last year at the outdoor game with the um, with the Stars and Predators. They just had a, a visiting section of like 20,000 Preds fans. What they should do in that instance, if they're going to do a Panthers Lightning outdoor game, which could happen, is do a section of 15,000 for Panthers fans. And you'd get 15,000 Panthers fans to show up for that. I have no doubt about that in my mind. People would definitely go to that. You would get a lot of Canadian fans with their Panthers jerseys. Yeah, yeah, you would. I mean, you'd have people who are, are Blackhawks fans or Rangers fans yeah. any other day of the week who would go. But you'd get the, the diehards would definitely go to that, and especially if they're good, which we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel bad for the Flyers. Now, the one thing, the other question I ask about the NHL in the instance with the Lake Tahoe games is they said they had backup teams, which obviously means other teams in the division, whether it be the Rangers, whether it would have been the, the Penguins, I don't know who it would have been. But if they knew at that point that the Flyers were going to have a lot of COVID issues, which they knew they were going to have, I don't know why they didn't plug in a backup team. I think because of the logistical challenges and the schedule, and they've already had, you know, with the schedule. So they probably just wanted to go with it because that was the least of all evils. But part of me also wonders that too. I I thought that again, once they actually started playing the games, it did look pretty cool. It was a fun event. It just, it didn't, they didn't execute it well. And that's a shame because I think it took away from something that the league could have really built on for, you know, again, all these games are in basically empty arenas the, the, I mean, hockey in an empty arena doesn't look that terrible compared to, you know, the NBA in an empty arena or football in an empty stadium, but they just didn't execute it well, and it's a shame. I wish they did, because it was, it was a fun idea. Um, speaking of things that are fun now, what about a 29-shot period? <clears throat> that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was a decent game. How uh... do you I, – I have um, – I'm going to – you have a better hockey base of knowledge than I do. I have never seen a no. Certainly, I haven't seen a period that dominant from the Panthers, but it's it's been a long time since I've seen a period that decidedly one-sided. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty one-sided in like the soccer possession sense. Like, and and they they got they generated a lot of shots on net, um, and a lot of them were pretty you know medium danger, pretty decent chances and stuff. Um, and it was one of their best periods this year. Uh, but I also thought Dallas looked like a team that was... Nine days? Yeah, and after the first period, didn't really have much left and, you know, started falling off. And, you know, I, that's their sixth loss in a row. It, Kudobin finally played a good game, and that's encouraging for them. But Dallas definitely internally for them has things to improve on and work on and they haven't really been given a chance to do that right now so things are still in flux for them and well, i'm not saying that this is the same stars team that made right. the cup final and, i'm just saying that I, it, I just, I, i've never I, seen a period seeing, like that i'm seeing people say this was the best period in panthers history yeah. and i just can't like it was a good period if you like if you just look at the shot totals and everything and it was pretty fun and everything, but like 
it was not as great as some of the other games or periods or other things that has that happened. That period against Tampa was better because of right. who they were playing and the, and the, and right. the context of the game. And I know it wasn't right. as dominant, but to me, that period and, showed, okay, this team's actually right. good. You know, they can hang with these teams. And, and yes, and, and what is dominant if you're not finishing? What is dominant if you're running, if you're doing some of the same things you did against Detroit that gets you Greist or gets you Bernier, I guess, that one game. But mm-hmm. what is what is that net awesomeness or net uh, domination that you get if you're not filling the back of the net, if you're not um, – you know, if you're chances. not if you're not showing if you if you're not really being challenged to it's how you know if Dallas was kind of sitting back, it looked like Dallas was almost playing like they had the lead. You know, after they lost the lead in the second, they couldn't get out of that kind of style of play. Um, and obviously, that has something to do with Florida taking it to them, but also Florida stayed somewhat more around the. They the, didn't have a lot of shots, like, right in yeah. front of the net. Like, a yeah. lot of their shots were, as you said. Even if you look at Hornquist's shots that game, Hornquist's shots came from further out than they usually do. Mm-hmm. I, I think Dallas still defended it, obviously, about as best it as they decent. could. Yeah. But, and like, so, I, I mean, I it was a – I would say it was, a, it was a, like, an outstanding period. It's something that 100% inside that locker room they should be getting hype on. They should be watching video on. They should be building off of and saying, this is what we're capable of. This is what we need to do all the time. But then also, like, but we have to get to the center more. But we still have to maintain this when we're getting pressure the other way. Um, and, and you know, build off of it that way. Um, and, hof- and hopefully Dallas is a little more challenging games two and three. Dredger is going to play the next game. Uh, and then Bob's probably going to play Thursday. That is correct. That is what's going to happen. I, again, not too far off the goalie schedule they probably have. Well, they I think the difference to the goalie game. schedule this year was I thought they were going to ride Bobrovsky until they couldn't anymore, and then they were going to go to Drieger, but it turns out they actually have a goalie tandem that they like. I mean, people are still making their comments about Bobrovsky, but I have fully thrown them all out at this point because yeah, and it's people, like people's coloring of that signing – and who signed it, and the context around it is definitely doing the work in their opinion of Bobrovsky. It is not actually how is Bobrovsky playing. And you can look at his numbers, and they're not great, but they're not as bad as I think some people make them out to be. And Drieger's been fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way well, he has played. Although it, me... he's been he's been trending down. I mean, he's been saved by the post a lot. We we can talk about that. I, we I will talk about that in look, a little bit. Um, I mean, there's I mean, but if you look at Drieger's games yesterday, it, I think it's a pinnacle of what he's largely lived off of. He gave up a really bad goal early in the game, mm-hmm. and that could have could have doom the Panthers but it didn't because the Panthers happened to be on that night and the evidence of that is the second period that's something that the Panthers don't usually do for any goalie um whether it's Roberto Luongo or Bobrovsky or or, yeah so you know Scott Clemenson could have been in that it didn't matter and at the end of the day he walks out with a 9-5-6 or something like that save percentage Gave up a terrible goal, and you know, 
didn't wasn't really challenged at all. So well, he, he, me, it was a, a one or two it was good, good saves enough. on a breakaway and another yeah, chance. Yeah, it was a good really. enough game, but it was not anything that says they shouldn't continue to just continue the tandem with him and Bob. And it makes sense to do Dreger again, Bob on the back to back. So then Bob gets because they like linking the games together. So it's not just one goalie then switching to the other and bouncing back and forth. So Bob, after you know, on the other side of this back-to-back, is probably going to get two or three games here. Um, and they don't they don't have a back-to-back until a week from Sunday after that. So like again, and the other thing yeah. that Joel Quenville does, and we know, and you notice this very clearly, is when the Panthers win, he does not make changes unless he has to. He does not want to make changes unless. And it's he has starting to. to and, and I think, to be honest, I'm less mad at Bobrovsky, less mad at Yandel, less mad at any of the players or GMs or owners, anything Quinville's the only guy on my nerves this year. Uh, and it's and starting you could to argue. This is a really good coaching job from him, which I think it is in many regards. Well, I, it, what you're, yeah, what you're angry yeah, about yeah. is, and I know you, it's, it's, this, the, it's, go ahead. it's, it's the idea that there's less rotation than you want to decide. Yeah. When he said going into the year that that was the plan to do. And I, he's I'm, doing it with the goalies. So he's I, doing I mean, it with the goalies, a little less with the forwards, and not as much with the defense as I thought. Like, one thing I right, realized it very quickly. So well. What happened, what happened, as soon as Hepo Niemi couldn't get back in the lineup, um, everything started going downhill. Then Connolly started playing way too much. And then, you know, like, then he just got into the old habits of, I'm just going to stick with this lineup. And I, and I might change it for a little bit, but then I'm going right back to it. And now, the one it doesn't thing really that did change my opinion of this there. slightly is it turned out that Nudivar was actually hurt, which I didn't, which we didn't know until recently. I don't know why he hasn't played as much. But the other thing that uh, that Corey Snyder reminded me of when he tweets about it, I think he was tracking a game, is like Joel Quenville really likes Gustav Forsling. Yeah, he and, really likes Gustav Forsling, and that's fine. But then. But, like, at what point does somebody else need to sit? You can't have – and then you call up Riley Stillman. So now they have nine defensemen who can play NHL minutes, and you're only using one of the six spots as the rotation. How does that work? How is that beneficial to those players individually or to the decor and team as a whole? It doesn't make sense to me, big picture, when Quinville himself went into the year saying – this is a year where you need to have depth. You need to rotate a lot of guys and have a lot of different options and see who works with who and who, you know, and next man up mentality. You can't have that if you become dependent again on we need the first line of Bar- to be Barkov, Duclair, and Verhage to get anything done. Which, and we need Huberto. We need Huberto. has not been the case this season. Thankfully, has yeah. not been the case. But, like, it – eventually it's going to be it's becoming more and more that because as much as that third line you know and stuff they're getting shots and everything they're not finishing i mean whether it's Connolly or tippet on that line um you know i think i thought hennis Schroeser deserved a little more game time than he's gotten definitely more than lomberg um you know hepo niemi there's I think, I think it's just the idea that we thought there might be more rotation, just just the way that the season played out and the fact that they did it early. And I think they still should continue it. We're, we're still at a point where they're 16 games in. There's still 40 of them left. 
and there's a lot that they can still learn about these players before we get to you know the trade deadline when they have to decide is this the group we are 100% going to stick with and we'll we'll see i mean the fact is they still haven't lost consecutive games yet anytime they put in a clunker they immediately respond in a good way they don't let these things get to them on the whole they are playing good hockey you know they are fifth in expected goals percentage according to natural stat trick and their pdo is basically uh- one so what that means is they're winning and they're not fluking it. These are games that they should be winning and they're winning them. They're not on a goalie bender and they're not on a shooting percentage bender either. So, right. but obviously and, and that, that's fine. And, and like, you know, you can look at it that way and, you know, I do look at it that way and I'm not like upset. Like I don't, you know, freak out. I'm not worried about the team this year because of, you know, the new conferences and schedules and all, and all of that. It seems to be working out, but I mean, if we're talking about be, becoming a team that peaks at the right time, is able to win series and bear down on their sticks and do all the little things and, and play the different types of hockey you need to play, play high pace, play you know on the power play, be able to withstand injuries and adversity and all of these you know other things you have to do to win 16 games and win the cup. Um, you know, that's the I, one thing that's been amazing the last two seasons, Tommy, is that they have had no major injuries. And cross your fingers that continues, but they've had almost nothing major happening to them. Right. Other than Bobrovsky being out a little bit, like this year, the only injuries were Forsling and Nudivara. Right. And, and I think at some point, it, you know, you, there has to be a two track mind. It has to be enough to balance, like, okay, this is where they are in the standings right now. This is the results on the ice, and it's going good enough not to rock the boat or really make waves. And then on the other hand, it's like, okay, but we have to be thinking about the underlying process and the big picture trajectory so that when we get into the playoffs, we're ready to step up and play whoever we have to play beat them and move on and and get ready to go on a run here uh because you don't know how many kicks you get at the can you don't know if you get into the playoffs and if you're the panthers and you win a series you should you know that should be your goal getting in and winning a series and moving on to the next one and becoming a contender and becoming somebody that teams expect to other teams expect to make the playoffs expect to challenge them in the playoffs and be a hard out every night. And that requires... Part of me doesn't know if they're at this particular, what you're mentioning. You know, we we won't know until they get there. Right. But it's about what are you doing every game to get there? And that's the part that I I think a lot of fans on their show don't really appreciate. I think one of those things that, that. you know, it's the, the one thing that I'll say that does encourage me from that regard is that when they have lost or when they have not played well, you know, when they have had their 10 minutes where they didn't really turn up in that Detroit game on Saturday, for instance, I mean, they, they played decently enough afterwards. They didn't get enough high-quality shots against the Red Wings and were chasing. But when they came back and played Dallas on Monday, they played much better. You know, they but started again, a little slowly, but they but they found a way to pick it up. They they don't let the bad get to them. There have not been these consistent, you know, bad performances. We've seen them in moments, but they bounce back. 
And I know you'd like to see the consistent 60 minutes. And I think they've put those together at times this season. You know, that first game against Tampa was very, very good. Um, against Detroit that Friday when they just beat the crap out of them from the start of the game. You know, I think they've shown a good, decent response to adversity. The one thing we don't know about this team yet is they're going to have a time when they lose. What adversity? What, what adversity have they faced? As in, as in okay. I so mean, like, in, they, they, I mean, like, again, they haven't really had too many challenging games. And when they do, they usually lose out of hand. And so, and like, they're, they're playing down to Detroit. They play, they play to their competition level. Good teams don't do that. Teams like Tampa Bay are able to plug and play with multiple different players, are able to strategize the use of their bench to, to make sure that they're able to compete every game and throughout the season and still be ready in the playoffs. The I mean, one, I, I'm just saying with adversity is, my, my point was, they lose 6-1 to Tampa at home. You know, worried about that. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen in the next game? On the road, they don't win there. They're playing Tampa again, and that was but, without I mean, in, Sorelli, in hockey, you know, just... Hockey battling back after a loss, after one loss, is an adversity. That's just expected. As I said, the thing that I'm saying is, for that, this team usually we know once they started losing, and last year this happened a lot. They lost a lot. It took a while to get out of the rut. Yeah, but okay, they okay. We've accepted that they do that now. But what's the next step? And why? The next step I think is to is to see what happens to me personally is what happens if they start losing again, which will happen at some point this season. What, what it, does Joel Quenville do to get out of that? Not, the, no, that, the next step isn't waiting to see when they start faltering again. The next, what are they doing to take the next step as a team to get better? What are they doing as a coaching What would you staff? like them to do? I've been saying what I would like them to do. I would like to see Quinville start using more players so that when there's injuries, other defensemen are ready to go. So you know who so you know who Juleson plays with when he has a choice between Forsling and Nudavara. You've never given them an opportunity to really. In practice, sure, but never in NHL games. And what you know, you're like Hinnestrosia should be playing more. Especially over Lombard. I don't know why he's getting so locked into Lombard. They, they, they need to start uh, using a little more of the second power play and not having to put themselves in game situations where they need to ride the power play one throughout the game. That's the one. That's the win. one decision that I haven't really and liked is that they they really don't trust I, that second I, power play. Either. I I like that they ride the first power play when they have to. I like when you know I like playing your best players as much as possible to win a game. But there's games and you have to. It's course load management. There's been no load management or at least a quarter into the season if the season's even shorter. Like I don't understand why you just aren't managing Strawman and Gudis's minutes more. Why in you're terms of, in terms of giving them a night off and a back-to-back yeah, against or, Detroit or, kind of situation. Or even just not, not riding their minutes. And same with Connolly. I don't know why Connolly plays. Every time we get a lead, Connolly starts coming on the ice every other shift, and that kills momentum. You saw it against Detroit. You saw it against you know, a lot of teams. I, I, there's a lot of coaching decisions I don't understand. And then there's still playing decisions and cohesion this team needs to pick up and work on. Uh, we still see a lot of the same defensive breakdowns and, and miscommunications and things like that. And it's, it's happening less, get- but they're still happening. 
And right. when you and get to the so postseason, you know, Keith Yandel having the worst penalty differential in the league is going to become a major problem. What, what's going to be what's getting done about that? That that's what I'm saying. Like to it's okay. So so they're in a pretty comfortable position for the playoffs. So what's next? Becoming a team that's expected to win that playoff series. They're not becoming that team. You don't see that transition. I don't see that transitioning starting to happen. I mean, obviously, from my perspective, I don't see what happens behind closed doors. But it's hard for me to trust what's happening behind closed doors when the guy who runs it, Quinville, is making some decisions that, to me, seems like he's not trying. He's just falling back into old habits and going on cruise control because things are going well. And he's not, you know, like it's retirement Quinville, or, you know, it's Quinville light. And I don't know if that's what I want for $6 million. And that's what Panthers need when they're already nursing Bobrovsky and, and doing a lot to try to get him to where he's supposed to be nursing Yandel, doing a lot to get, try to get that situation to well, where they want to think about this team like one of the things I said before the season was if they were going to make the playoffs Bobrovsky had to go on a heater like he has not clearly gone on a heater so well, like that's yeah, still that's, that's still something that is in theory in possible wildest, that's because in before the season it was more likely that Bobrovsky would get on a heater than it was that the Panthers would have no injuries in every and like Wenberg would have more, you know, every player would be playing over a hundred percent or 110% of their capabilities right now for the most part. This is this I can agree with. I, I will say though, that in most regard, like it is, it is worth saying that we, we always ask before a season, like how are your best players going to play? Are they going to get better? And I didn't think for another year, Barkov, Huberto, and Ekblad were going to take another step ahead even more than they did last year. And I thought all three of them had really good seasons last year. And all of them have. I don't know how much you can bank on that anymore. Like them taking another level to be even more elite than they already are. You know, that, that's another important question. Well, but, it, I mean, it dep- I mean, personally, I think that they are up there with those players that do constantly keep evolving keep pushing and challenging their games and continue to be effective until their bodies you know basically give out on them and so as much as you know you would expect a McDavid or a McKinnon or a Crosby or a Malkin to keep getting better through their 20s you should with Bobrovsky I mean not Bobrovsky sorry (laughs) Well, we uh, hoped that would uh, happen, but it's clearly not yeah, going to. Bark- Barkov and Huberto and Ekblad. I mean, to to me, Barkov and Huberto have always been top five center, top five winger in the league. That has not been a discussion. That's been their talent and potential and ceiling, and they're living that right now. And I expect them to keep taking steps. And whether it's just keeping taking steps to match what the steps Matthews and McDavid and McKinnon and all of them and, you know, Patrick Kane and all of them keep taking, or if it's to outpace them, who knows? But I think they'll at least keep up with them. Well, um, I think more, more of what I thought was, more, maybe, my, maybe I was discounting them, perhaps, because in every season they, just, they have gotten better consistently and they have found new levels to play. And maybe it was me who was like, okay, this is probably their ceiling. Well, and, 
maybe I was the one who was who was discounting them when I shouldn't have. And of course, obviously, well, I love all just, of these guys. Maybe you were just undercounting the continual effects to development that structure that uh, line mates that you, they can depend like consistently depend on. Um, I mean. When Ekblad, it, it's a huge difference this year. When Ekblad, it cheats up the ice, uh, especially like when Wenberg's on the ice and stuff. He's usually got like his lane and his spot back on the ice is filled pretty quickly, and it's a lot safer. He gets when he gets jumping up, he gets pucks earlier in his rush, so he can continue that head of steam, or he pulls knows he didn't get that puck right away. He's pulling back. There's, so that part of development is just kind of on that consistency of knowing when he gets pucks and when he's not going to well, get them. Also, I think we, 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 they spent years trying to figure out who is going to be Ekblad's partner. And for whatever yeah. Mackenzie Weger's ceiling is, those two play perfectly together. They, they have the chemistry. They have the complementary games that allow Aaron Ekblad to continue to do Aaron Ekblad things. Because when he was playing with Yandel, obviously that never happened. It happened with Brian Campbell, but Brian Campbell was such a unicorn defenseman. Just so few players played like that. Even the more defensemen are like Brian Campbell now than there ever was, Campbell was so unique in the way he played. You know, and Uyghur is completely different, obviously, but they, the, the styles mesh so well, and that's what it's allowed Ekblad to take another step this year. And I thought Ekblad last year was probably the team's best player overall. Just the way he got better as the season went on, even in spite of everything around him. And then this year, he's even better than that. Yeah, and he's still, you know, improving on the back end, too, without the puck. And he's not – he's one of the most frustrating top-end defensemen. And you have to worry about how this is going to go in the back end of his career. But he has these moments sometimes where it looks like he's never touched the puck or been in skates before. Like, he has, like, just brain fart moments or, like, just moments where – he can't get his big frame to do a finesse thing that it needs to do or he's trying to do and it and it causes a little bit of problems but what you know what has helped is Uyghur has left points on the table to be there in moments when that happens and focusing on supporting Ekblad verse uh, you know, looking for points himself and stuff and always being aware uh, of kind of catering to Ekblad. And obviously that was what Ekblad needed, and we said it was what he needed um, in a defensive partner um, to kind of help manage that because he's not a perfect defenseman. He's not. No, he's not. Um, but but, but it, when, we, when we see what he's getting better at, you know, yeah. like he is better defensively I mean, than he used to be. He is. He's a top 10 right-handed defenseman. He'll should be on the Canadian Olympic team. He better be. There is and no that's a team for that's stacked. So and that's a team that's stacked on on the right side. And it, you know, unfortunately, no one will play him on the left side. You know, I don't understand this uh, this side and handedness uh, issue. You've never been a fan of, of that. that. But well, the good um, news is Mike Babcock will not be coaching Team Canada at the 2022 Olympics, so that won't be a problem. No, no, no. He'll he'll just be ruining a portion of one university's. Student. Oh God! Well, at least that, he'll be off a, NBC. That's that's good. a compromise I'll take. Just get that's out. a compromise I'll take too, because he won't be on NBC for much longer. Um, I will say that again. Like, 
of all of the players, because I know Jonathan Huberto is this good. We know that. I know Sasha Barkov is this good. But Aaron Eckblad continuing to really improve in a way that is, it is marked and noticeable it is one of the, the most pleasant surprises this season. And it's been so fun to watch him get better every night. You know, you watch him on that, 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 you know, that late trailing play when he comes in and nobody picks him up and there's a good pass from either Barkoff or Hubert or somebody else and they find him coming in. Like, that play, I know the Panthers run it all the time. It's a Quenville staple. But Ekblad really is good at executing that. That's why he has those goals. But again, he's, he's taken his assertiveness to another level. He, he just he plays as if he knows he's a number one defenseman now. For a while, you know, and maybe that was the concussions that he had. For a while, I don't think he played like he knew he was. You know what I mean? Like, he knew internally. He wasn't second-guessing himself that I am a number one defenseman. I can play like this. I can beat anybody I'm playing. You know, and he definitely plays like that now. And it takes a while, but I think the other thing we have to say about Aaron Eckblad is some people were saying, oh, he's not, he shouldn't have been the number one pick. You know, where's this potential that he should be tapping into? I think it's another thing that just shows that development curves are not linear. And for Aaron Eckblad, he's been in the league a really long time. And just now he's starting to hit this kind of potential that we knew he always had. You know, maybe it shows that sometimes development curves are different and we have to be patient with these players. And we have and, to say... And- I just honestly don't care if people say that he shouldn't have been number one overall. Wow, he should have been number two. Oh, I don't care. Like, I, I know, yeah. I don't. I, but I, I, even so much as like people saying, is he truly that franchise number one defenseman? I kept reading articles about that, and it was always a hedge for some people in talking about the Panthers. But I don't think they can do that anymore because it's clear he is. I don't think he's. Like it. I don't think he's a franchise defenseman. I don't think he needs to be a franchise defenseman to justify that pick, though, or to justify his contract or his usage or anything right now. Um, I think he's franchised in the f- sense that the personality, the off-ice, uh, you know, the intangibles and that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know if he is, like, a number one defenseman. I'd, more of, like, a number two uh, I I hope that the Panthers draft a defenseman who's better than Aaron Eckblad. That's that's my goal. Um, I don't at think it's a situation they're going to have to consider that. It's not, but... it's not a situation where like I I obviously hope the Panthers draft a better center than Barkov. I just don't see how that's possible. I think it's it's every draft there's usually there's sometimes recently the D has got have gotten so good. Um, that there are defenders that are better than Aaron Ekblad almost year every other year at, at the top of the draft or, you know, so. But, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I get, I totally play. get that mindset. Like, you always want to find players that are even better than the ones you have, but I, I give but, credit to Aaron Ekblad I mean, like, because if you're talking about players that have just yeah, I, year over year leveled up in a way that is, is extremely noticeable, then he, he, he wins the award for most improved player every single year for the last couple of years. And right. that and, has and, upped the Panthers' ceiling in a way as, that we haven't and, seen. I mean, and again, what I'm saying is he's Seth Jones to a Zach Lorensky. I mean, like, we're talking, you know. A, a... Semantics. Yeah. Semantics. There's uh, a lot I, do of, want... I, don't, I don't think of any Stanley Cup team that hasn't had, like, two, two pretty 
big defenseman. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, you go through the list of Cup champions, and it's like, it's Hedman, it's it's you know Niedermeyer, it's, Pronger, it's, Niedermeyer, Steve. it's it's Alex Petrangelo, it's John Carlson, it's Chris Letang. You know, like we know what you need to win. Is Aaron Ekblad that number one Cup winning defenseman? We don't know. Well, I mean, barely I would... playoffs, but we'll find out. But I mean, like, yeah, I would say Aaron Ekblad's better than Letang or Carlson, but I wouldn't call them franchise D either. So I want to talk. I know there's a lot of people who call Chris Letang a franchise defense. Still, they do. I mean, Brian Burke does now. He has to. Uh, I want to talk about some other players just briefly because this team is still number one in the Central, even with our gripes. Um, Alex Wenberg has really upped his game too in the last couple of weeks, and we knew that he was good defensively, and that's one of the reasons why this team is infinitely better than it was, because your second line center is not a black hole defensively. Uh, which was which was part of the problem when Trocek was there. It certainly was a problem when he wasn't there. Uh, but Wenberg has now upped his offensive game, of course, as well, and his all-around game is getting better. And I have to, and it's not just because I think looking at him is a great thing to do, and it is. Certainly, uh, but is. he is. But he is just he is playing at a such a high level right now. I don't know how long that's sustainable, but the way he's playing is like that's what the the Blue Jackets saw when they drafted him in the top 10. Like, you can see, okay, that's why they did that. You know, this is the talent that he has. This is the potential that he can reach. And he's playing like it. And that is wonderful to see. Because I think he's a great player. You know, he's a wonderful two-way center with with decent offensive upside. He's playing like it now. So I want to give a shout-out to him. Was, I, I was worried about Winberg and Wustrainen's uh, ability to lock down the 2 and 3C roles. I mean, obviously, I'm rooting for them, too. Um, until Lundell gets here. But um, I, I think what helped with Wenberg is instead of trying to score with his shot, he's scoring with his release. And, the, and what I mean by that is he was taking too long to shoot a lot of times. He was trying to set up the puck, get it flat, and really step into a shot or really you know, pick his corner and use his accuracy or his power, some part of his shot, you know, to beat a goalie. And, and instead he changed his game and he started just driving to the back post and looking for redirect, redirect you know, tappings on the back or tips out in front. He, he Or, you know, just one-timers and things like that. He realizes, okay, my shot's not right there right now, but I can score other ways and maybe just kind of luck into it and get around it the that positioning, way. The positioning, I said he's, I think what you're saying it's, it's is very he's scoring smart. using his intelligence. Like he's just, the where he is on the ice, the yeah. positions he gets into are just, are, are brilliant. And that's not just offensively, and, and defensively he does that was, as well. And that's why we thought he could be a placeholder to see uh, because, you know, of that IQ, that ability to adapt and, and figure out his role and, and figure out the way to get the most out of it um even when pucks aren't going in the net for him and so so that's been really great i i've, I've really appreciated wenberg uh yeah, i know I mean, that there's definitely going to be points when the pucks aren't going in and and other stuff but you just kind of have to hang through it as long as he's being consistent um and dependable and the one thing joel quenville's really good at is saying to players if the puck's not going in like, you got to keep doing the things you're doing. You're doing all the right things. It will go in for you. He did that with Duclair, and Duclair's game is still top-notch. He's apparently doing that with Connolly every night. Apparently doing that with, I mean, let's, let's stick to doing it with players like, you know, 
Anthony Duclair and Alex Wenberg who have higher end skill, but like his patience with those kinds of players is why he is such a good coach. Even if we have gripes with him, it is the ability to say to Anthony Duclair, listen, I know the puck's not going in, but so much of this stuff that you're doing is top notch. You keep doing that, you're going to score goals for fun. And that's the one thing that I think is, is really positive about him, and it's happened with Wenberg too. And the one other player I think that I want to mention, I mean, Hubert Obarkov and Ekblad are, you know, are who they are, but we need to talk about Patrick Hornquist. You know, we talked about him before as the kind of player the Panthers just did not have in the past, but I think as you look back on that trade more and more, it's really emblematic of what Bill Zito wanted when he said, I want this team to be tougher to play against, but that doesn't mean throwing out, you know, Sean Thornton's out there. It means I need players who are smarter and are really obstinate in the way they play. And you can see, because I've never, you know, I've not watched the Stars every night, but Patrick Hornquist just mind-melted John Klingberg. Like, just boiled his brain. And that's well, something John that the Panthers... Well, the John Klingberg isn't the most per, per, like I, I can't believe Klingberg fought fought there. There's, I know I, I can't I, believe it either, but that just shows you that's what Patrick Hornquist does. And you know, we thought okay, maybe his body's broken. But you I know. mean, like, I it was like, I mean, yes, I don't, I I'm steering away from the legend of Hornquist that I think is being written by uh goals some people and and right now i think he's he's important to the locker room important to the attitude change and expecting to win uh he's playing really great hockey i hope they manage his minutes i'm really enjoying him play uh but i i, I think for I, me it would just it summarized yeah. all the things that were wrong about the panthers last couple of years is that just the addition of a player like patrick hornquist fundamentally changes the character of this team and the uh, and the fact that nobody noticed that until now, you know, and and that's like the first thing Bill Zito did, and it's been, I mean, all of his additions, almost all of them, have been good. So to see that, and, you know, and it, it's I, just kind I'm of stark. Hoping, I'm hoping to build off of that, and I mean, I guess that's why I'm I'm getting, I'm starting to get frustrated if you know there's not more rotation in the next week or two, um, that you know. What what you're letting Hornquist go to waste? You're letting these players who are playing really your best players who are playing really good go to waste. I mean, why is Tippett getting out of the lineup and Connolly going up instead of Tippett going the back to Barkov and Huberto for a little bit? That seemed to work. Like I don't understand why we can't try the why we can only try some things. What I what I think is interesting for you for us now is now that the Panthers seemingly. They're not there yet, but we're almost at a point where if they keep playing like this, they may lock up their playoff spot in March if they continue to win like this. And that would be the point in which I'm saying, like, okay, we need to see what else this team has. You know, we the, need to see those other looks. See, no, you can't do that because then down the sh- then then you're taking then you're taking the players you're taking players out, and then you're experimenting. You have to do it organically through the year. So you're building the team all in one direction, and you're peaking together, heading into the playoffs. That's fair enough. You can, like you like it'd be like you don't want to have somebody sitting on the bench too long, and stuff. You know, you don't want to go away from Carter Verha- uh, you know Carter Verhage, uh, Duclair, and Barkov 
for too long. You know, you just want to go away for a period or a game or whatever, and then you can jump back to it and things like that. Yeah, like, he, I don't yeah when, when the Panthers have played poorly and he's juggled yeah. the lines, he's gone right back to them. Like, I don't understand why when you constantly have trouble getting up against Detroit, why you don't go into the second game against Detroit with, like, a different lineup and play some of the young guns up and, you know, let Verhage be center for third line or something like, you know, do, you know, manufacture some of that energy. Quinville's good at that. He does it in spurts. But again, I keep coming back to it. It feels like he's only willing to do it part time. And I think I think if I had to change. say one thing, maybe he is a little too married to like things that work and he won't even after wins. You know what I mean? Like that whole idea like I, I, we won. Let's not change anything. I will agree with you there that that's a little sometimes it's a little frustrating, except with the goalies, except with the goalies, which he has rotated decently well. And Again, I don't even think Bobrovsky has been that terrible against Detroit. The two goals really weren't terrible, and the team in front of him didn't really show up for half the game. So, that's. I, but I think overall, I mean, listen, we are complaining. That's what Y Hockey does. We want this team to level up even further, of course. But the fact is, they're twelve three and two. They're playing insane. You know, it is insane to watch a Panthers team be like this and. I know this is a season that you might, in the future, we might chalk off because but pandemic. Can, but just to put it in the perspective, this is just them being like a normal operating professional <laughs> hockey club, and like, mo- like this is the level they should have been at for all of these decades, and it's really not that special, and it's something that the fans really need to like st- stop, like lose the glaze in their eyes, stop like celebrating and planning the parade and realize like, okay, now we're in the league. Now we're in the NHL. Welcome to the NHL. Now, now, now you actually don't just have a lotto ticket to the draft at the end of the year. You actually get to maybe qualify for the playoffs, you know, under merit, under merit consistently, not in a wild card spot, not in a play in spot, not in, uh, blah 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 you know like winning divisions and you know consistently think, winning divisions i think one one area that you're you're pointing out which is an important area it's very easy at some point to make the leap from garbage to good it's a lot harder to make the good to great leap you know what i mean and and what right. we're saying here i think this which entire is, podcast is centered on how do the panthers go from good to great and you know yeah and since it's so hard and everything it takes longer than usual. I mean, everything takes longer than you think it does. So certainly, and and I'm starting to saying like, but but for for all of that has happened. <laughs> like the fact that this team is now good, properly good, with its are flaws, they but Yes, I, mean, like, I, I will say that they are good. I will say that they're properly good. I I think how do we I know? Think, how do we know? Because the they played I, less than twenty games against who? Okay, against. So. Here's how I know they're good. Not just the numbers that I brought up, that they are fifth in the league in expected goals percentage, which is right where, you know, a good team is. Now, how much is that indicative of the season because of who you're playing and how you're playing? I don't know. They're good, but, like, okay, but what is a good team? Like, what, like, I guess, what is the good team? Like, are they a good team in the moment right now? Are they playing good hockey? Yes, they are playing good hockey. they're playing good hockey. Are they a good team? I think that's what the whole season is for to really determine and I, I still don't even so know if for that's you, no for you who are then the good teams in the central it's tampa and carolina right 
I would say Dallas is a good team, but can, but this year they are structurally fighting against the elements. Yes. Okay. So what defines them as good teams for you? The that they that regardless of their opponent, they play a consistently good game and one or two injuries doesn't derail them, that they have multiple different looks that they can give you in a series or in a game. They can change change strategies and lines on the fly. They can, you know, they have a couple different lineups that they've run. I mean, we're talking about good hockey teams. And there's 10 of them in the NHL. I mean, there's a lot of, like, average hockey teams. Yeah. But, I mean, just for, for the sake of argument, I, I focus on the Central because that's all the Panthers are going to yeah. see this year. But, I mean, so... like, I would say it's Tampa. I mean, Carolina is, I would say, is 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 good. But, again... They're regular season good. See, that's that's the other part of it is like Carolina always does this, and then they get into the playoffs, and you go, why don't they win these playoff series? Yeah, and I mean, and they're they're good in like the just outside the bubble good, but they're not like Tampa, Boston, Toronto good in the regular. Well, Toronto season. isn't also winning in the playoffs good. They haven't done right, that, in but a while, in the regular but... season, they're yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. better. Well, so, I mean, I think, then I think how, that's there's so many still... shades of good. And the Panthers are so many shades below a lot. Like, if you look at the NHL points percentage, they're all teams in the division that they go back to next year. That's, as I say, like, so then what, learn, so then like it, it's, so, it's very funny how the five best teams in the league or five of the best teams in the league are all Atlantic teams. Yeah, so, like, if you're saying, are the Panthers for real? For real. For me to be for real, I would need them to, like, have a good playoffs this year, or be good next year when they're back into the divisions that actually matter in a, in a regular season, you know? like mm-hmm. I, I think that's fair, plenty fair enough. They're, they're going to play 50-some games this year, and that'll give me a good sense of – a kind of a good sense of what they are. And then they need to do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. No, listen, I, 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 think, I think part of it is – and, there, and, and there's nothing wrong with this from Panthers fans, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make that clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy that this team is playing the way that it is. And the fact that they are 12-3-2, and, and it feels, okay, this team finally turned a corner, and you can say, I root for a team that is more than just, you know, in the league because it is. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And I think the next step, as it says, is that upper level of consistency, that Bruins lightning level or Vegas level. You know, and that yeah. is going in, to be something that has to develop, and it hasn't developed yet. And I mean, how would the Panthers do at if least, they played Boston eight times? I don't know. I don't think they'd look like this. Yeah, I mean, and are I wouldn't even say that their Flyers good. I would say that it. It. I mean, like because of the like, season that we're again, in, it's hard to know they, how teams right would now, do. Right now, if they played a, a series against each other, how would they do? I mean, yeah, the Panthers would probably stand a pretty good chance because they're playing really good hockey right now, and the Flyers are discombobulated. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, If you're putting them best on best in a seven-game series, I don't think many people would pick the Panthers. Going into the year, I mean, I think going even going into next year, even if the Panthers have a good year and make the playoffs, unless the Panthers win, a, win the playoff series and stuff, the Flyers are going to have a better outlook and more potential next season than the Panthers are because they're, they're a good team. 
I don't think that I don't think that you're They've wrong. They've consistently there. shown that they can, like, like average for this Flyers team is making the playoffs and having a 50-50 shot of winning the first round. That's not average for any Florida team. Not yet, at least. It's not. Yeah. And then you also have a team, as you said, the Avalanche have a higher ceiling. You know, these are things. And listen, that's part of the Panthers' evolution. You know, you're not, you don't go from, you know, 86 points every year to, okay, this is a team I expect to win a playoff series every year overnight. That's not something that comes immediately. And it comes with evolution and it comes with taking that step consistently. And that's, and when I, when we did our last show together, it was, how are they going to play against the good teams? Because they hadn't played a good team yet. Well, they hung with the Lightning. They came back against Carolina. And Dallas is not the stars right now. But they proved that they could hang with them. They, they, the way I would put it is, okay, the Tampa Bay Lightning are now going to take you seriously. So what's going to happen when the Lightning take you seriously over seven games, right? That's, that's the next step. Because you can beat a team in a regular season. They could have an off night, which the, which the Lightning had. And then the Panthers had an off night. And then they came back right. and responded, and, and Curtis McElhaney was bad. But are you going to get that when you play them seven teams in a playoff series? Because right now, it's still quite early, but the Panthers and Lightning are on course to play each other. And nobody's I mean, picking Florida to win that series. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's so many complexities. Like, it, like I really don't see the point in making all these comparisons and everything with the team. I focus just more on the process. This is why I focus on like Quinville getting rotation in and seeing if we can continue this play with some of the other players that we know are good. It's just can we can we get can we see if they can get hot off the hop? So you know, like it was nice to see Hinnestrosia have some energy after sitting out so long. It was nice to be able to see that, get that data point, and know to have that. It was in nice the to see Forsling come back in the lineup and, and play well. Yeah, know? and it generate nice a lot see... of shots and see what his limitations and all that stuff are. But, like, what if you, because Juleson and Forslin seems like a really great pairing in my head. I would love to see it outside of practice if they even practice that, but I don't even know if they do. We will, we will, I, I think we will see. There are still, as I said, there are still questions that could be answered, but these are the questions you ask a team that is on the rise as opposed to a team that is fighting to be a bubble team. Right. We're and asking again, different questions. I'm asking questions of a coach right now and not of the skaters. And even though I have concerns or worries about certain skaters, like Yandel and stuff, I'm not asking questions of them right now, which tells me, tells you they're playing well. Yeah, so they, I, I I'm would not say trying, that I'm not trying it, to shit on the parade. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I think, it again, it is – when you're a good team, you're held to a higher standard. Or when you think you're a good team, you're held to a higher standard. And that's what we should be holding the Panthers to now. They have said, okay, they have earned the right to be scrutinized in a way we scrutinize teams at this level, as opposed to being scrutinized as a team that is a bubble team. Yeah. That's, and, that's the and way I, I think would put it. Same, same way that I expect – you know, after the Flyers see how they respond to COVID and see where some of their players are, I think that it's incumbent on Fletcher to get a defenseman for the Flyers and not waste, uh, you know, Kevin Hayes and JVR playing the way they are um, and just hoping Giroux and Couturier and stuff will be healthy enough in the playoffs and Hart will figure it out. Um and, and going for a guy like Ekholm, who they're r- rumored for going for. And, 
you know, pressure. And if, you know, they can't get that guy, they can't get a guy like Ekholm or something and flyers can't get a playoff win and everything. I don't know how disappointed I'll be at the players. I mean, depending on the, the performance and everything, but I, again, I don't think the Panthers, unless it's for a guy like Patrick line or somebody who's around 26, 25 or under, and has best at his position potential or is already that, um, you know, in his prime, I there's no reason for the Panthers to make a move because I keep saying they keep delaying seeing what they have. If, yeah, I, mean, I if, actually, if we, I, I'm definitely coming around through, to your position here. I don't think they really should be making yeah, trades I mean, at they, this point. I don't think they, they have shuffled, to. If they shuffled through the, some of the decor and everything and came back to this is the best D they got and then – Let's say, you know, Ekholm came on, but you, you're you going to have to pay a decent amount and then do a lot of financial limbo to bring Ekholm in. And, I mean, his performance will be worth it and everything, but you if if you can do it with Juleson, Forslund, Nudavara, and, and Stillman and, keep, you know, the guys you have right now, this year, why wouldn't you? That that's 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 kind of my, where I'm saying like right now I don't think the Panthers need to be making trades because you're getting plenty from what you have. Yeah, and, and, and there's still the, something that we don't know about what they have, and that's why I'm saying I don't think Florida needs to be making trades at this point. Yeah, I mean because every conceivable, every conceivable hole they have is something they can fill in ter- internally. I mean, yeah. whether if Wemberg and or the Australians start falling off, that's going to be automatically filled within a year when Lindell takes it. Like, it could conceivably, if they're as good as we think they are, it could conceivably fill with Lindell this year. Conceivably. It may not happen, but it could conceivably conceivably. happen. I mean, yeah. It's a possibility. It depends on to what level he's needed to play at and how everybody else is going. And, you know, my... That's another concern I have is will Quenville then want to change course? Like if he's not into rotating players and stuff, by the time Lundell comes here and it's in the trenches down the stretch, is he going to want to then throw Lundell into the mix? Or is Lundell going to be sitting on the taxi squad and in the press box? So that that's, you know, that's why I want to see more rotation now because it gives me belief that, when Lundell gets here, it's not going to be a wait-and-see approach. Um, that's, that, that's fair enough. And, and, that's, and listen, these are the questions you ask good teams. These are not the questions yeah. you ask of a team. That is, the, the teams last year where we just wanted to find an answer. Like, who are some of these players? You know, these are, these are very different questions that we're asking. And I think that's the sign of a, an evolution of yeah. a team that has gone from I mean, what it was to something new. Yeah, and... and you know, they're showing things they're they're showing on the ice, the improvements. They now just need to show um, more consistently and to make it look more second nature than this new improvement. If that yeah. makes sense. you as I, what you're and saying that, here is, listen, it, it's like it, you want it to be like this is just how not like you're going to get 29 shots a period every night, but the way that they're playing is the way you play on a nightly basis. This is new Panthers hockey. You know, it's not novel anymore. And in many ways it's still kind of novel, 
because again, it still feels like such a different kind of season with a different kind of team. You you like you want it to be the way that a team like the Bruins play or Tampa plays or somebody like that. And I think again, we're not there yet, but to see the evolution of this team in one off season under Bill Zito is I didn't think that they had this in them personally. Yeah. What what I mean the biggest thing I think that they need to do like they can when they went head to head against Tampa, they could they play that tough style. with them. They played exactly. Tampa but to then, a point where you were like, okay, I do not fear for my life if they play them when it matters because they can but, hang with them. But what they can't, what they can't do is when they get into a game, a, a game like. Detroit where they're just playing down and things just aren't coming. They can't just turn it on like Tampa can. No, like the one thing that the that's, Lightning that's or those old Kings good. teams had, you know what I mean? Like they just they could flip a switch and that was the end of that. If they wanted right. to, you were going to lose. Right. And, and and I don't, I don't think this team has that yet. But I don't think they, they have I don't think they have to be that. I don't think that where where they flip a switch and they can just but I think that they have to be able to start being able to identify and get break out of the lulls, even if it doesn't mean coming back and winning, even if it doesn't mean you know that domination and that resulted in that second period. I mean, it was good to see to see that they had a bad first period. They came, they responded. They were able to turn up the legs. They have to be able to do that against a team like Detroit. Because that's the issue. They don't. They're not able to do it against the teams that don't challenge them as much. What What I, mean, I really didn't like about the, the Detroit talent. game, and we'll move on from this from here, was when they scored that first goal, which was so easy. I was like, I you're watching it, you're going, okay, they're coasting now. They think that they're just going to blow them out again. Yeah. And that was what that was what frustrated me because of the two losses against Detroit, they. Again, you can excuse losing 6-1 to the Lightning because sometimes the Lightning are just going to be on, and that's just going to happen when you're playing the best team in the league. When you're playing against a team like Detroit, and it's going to happen against Nashville, it's going to happen against Chicago, you know, when Kevin Lankinen comes back to earth, you're going to have to say, listen, there might be moments where we're just going to run them off the ice. You know, that, that game on Friday where they scored seven, they could have scored ten. You know, they're just going to run you. In that next game, when they scored that first goal in that first part of the second period, it looked like they were coasting. It looked like they thought, we're going to beat them 7-2 again. And that's a thing that, that good teams don't, don't really fall into that trap. And then Detroit, while they're bad, you know, they're a National Hockey League team. So they can still beat you in that situation. And I think that that, that is something that Tampa does not do, or a team like Carolina or Boston does not do. They might lose games. But they're never going to go into a point where they're just going to, you know, take their foot off the gas and be like, okay, this is easy. We're going to win by showing up. You know, that, that Panthers team still has to get out of that little mindset. And I'm interested to see. They only played Detroit two more times this year. But I'm interested to see what happens. They have a couple games coming up against Nashville, who is very bad, by the way. Do they play like that against the Predators on the road? Going to be interested to see where that happens. Or Chicago, you know, somebody like that I don't think is as good as their record indicates right now. Something like that. So I think yeah. that's fair. Um, but these are questions that you ask a team that is that is truly improving, that is different than what it was, and that is a very positive sign. I'm, I'm quite pleased to see that this is a team that we can now ask these questions about because we never could. 
you know, you always, you've always asked this about the Flyers because they're held to a higher standard. And we've recently been asking this about the Avalanche, who are held to a higher standard. The fact that we can now ask these questions about the Panthers is a good thing. And again, don't take the criticism and what we've been talking as saying this team isn't what it is. No, you want this team to be even better. And this is the evolution of a team yeah. that gets to that level. Yeah, so but it's not, go... it's not Philip Kabina sitting on the bench. Feel free to use them. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have uh, just a couple of other things around the league I, I think we should, we should talk about. Um, uh, Philip Kuba and Pavel Kabina, did I just put them all together? I think you both? did. The Panthers signed one of them. Feels they like they played Phillip. them both. Uh, they, they maybe they played. Pa- I don't know if Pavel Kubina played for fans. I have no idea. But Philip Kuba, they definitely did, and he was awful, and I disliked him strongly. Um, a couple of other things I think I want to mention. Do you want to say that the Artemi Panarin situation is is really sad? And I hope the situation is what we think it is, which is uh, somebody who wants to get a little closer to the Kremlin, uh, trying to get in the Kremlin's good graces because they're trying to take out a guy who criticized the Kremlin. That's what I hope the situation is. And based on you know some of what I read from people who would know, that's kind of what it looks like. But there's no way to know until it's done, and I hope that Artemi Panarin can, you know, can be himself. Because not only is speaking out against, you know, Putin hard, you you have the ability. He is a legitimately great superstar player, and his influence matters. You know, because Ovechkin's buddy buddy with Putin, and Malkin is a little bit like that too, obviously. And we've seen that with some of the best Russian players. And to have Artemi Panarin, who is at that level, you know, do what he did, and then have this happen not too soon afterwards. It, it is sketchy, and I hope that it that it that he gets the chance to be able to to, to obviously play again. I hope this isn't true, um, but yeah, like when you read into the situation, you go, "Oh, somebody's trying to get in the good graces of the Kremlin, or somebody's doing what the Kremlin asked them to do." I mean, that's what a lot. Of, that's what the Rangers seem to imply. That's what a lot of people, you know, who follow Russian hockey seem to imply, and I hope that's exactly what this is. Yes. Because a league then, without Artemi Panarin is not a good league. But then, if that is what it is, what's going to be done about it? I, because it, at that point... It's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just... When the NBA had to ch- choose between getting involved in geopolitics and just taking money and shutting up, they took money and shut up. Shut up. So I... Think the NHL well, if, probably do the same. I think what but, will happen though is if if it's proven that this didn't happen, Panarin's just going to come back and play. You know. Well, I don't. I don't know. I I think. I mean, you know, I, I think. Could, but like, but if well, see what I okay. I mean, I don't. If he's if this story is enough, like I think that if this is a political threat. It wasn't just this story being released that was the threat. And so that doesn't mean if this story goes away, the threat goes away. Um, And the threat to his family goes away and all that. So I don't think it's necessarily that cut and dry. And I think that's why the NHL, Canada, United States probably would have to get involved because they cannot have NHL players you know, this be open. I mean, there's a lot of Russian hockey players and Russian. Essentially being like, comprom- like essentially Rocky, being yeah. like, if you speak out against, you know, the Kremlin, you get compromat, whether it's real or not. You know, it's very Russian playbook of things right. that they and, do. And the thing is, you know, at one point there was, there was a kind of, 
I'm not saying, you know, we need, like, spies among us, you know, like, we're going to turn this into Cold War or whatever. I hate or, that. Or this is a Dan Brown book. Right. But, like, you know, you can't, if, you have to treat the players as your family and employee, you know, like, you can't have your employees or, like, you know, your citizens threatened, like, you know. In this way. Yeah, it's just, so I, it's it's a, it's a it's an awful situation, and I hope it turns out the way we all think it is, which is this is somebody trying to get in the good graces of the Kremlin and doing a bad job of it. Um, other things around the league, I think we should mention just briefly. Um, there's a lot of talk about the draft, the 2021 draft being moved because obviously some of the players who are prospects this season haven't played. OHL has not played this season; they might not play till April. Uh, the Q has tried to go through it through COVID outbreaks. Um, college hockey has been really stop start. We've seen the Finnish league pause at some point. I think the Swedish league was also paused. Right. I, I know you have very strong opinions about this. And, um, Steve Eiserman is one of the advocates for, uh, pushing the draft back and you are not. So I will let yes. you say your piece. I'll, on this I'll, briefly. I'll say that I, I do not, if I was in a position where I was this year and next year, most likely going to be drafting, uh, both years in the top five, I would also be advocating for what Steve Eisman's doing. It allows you to kind of put them in tandem, spend two years planning them both out so you can maybe work that how you want. And Steve Eisman's very good at scheming things out. So I understand why he's for it, but in general, you don't only scout a prospect in their draft year. So there is pre-draft year data to go on. I would say 80% of players have some sort of games this year. Um, and there's data out there. Scouts could have, you know, can go watch whatever. You're basically saying that you want to delay the draft from July to either December or the following summer. So delay it a half year or a full year um, because you can't be in the rink scouting players as much as you used to, even though you'll have enough to make decisions on. And even though if you do delay it, you're just dis... You're, you're doing just, a disservice to the 2022 class as much as you're doing, you right. know, helping with this one, I think, yeah, is what your opinion you're is. you're juggling two at the same time. I mean, at some point, you just kind of have to take your licks and get over it so you can get back to normal. I mean, the more you delay, the more you push back and kick things down the road, like, the more COVID implications and impacts stay with us. The more, you know... Um, so that, that's my feeling. And, and there is a possibility that we are closer to like actual, I mean, not normal as we knew it before the pandemic, but normal as in the sense of we can go to games again much the next, sooner the next than we, six we months are huge, yeah. Yeah, like we could be like, I was reading an article today that says like we could be like, quote unquote, normal by the summer or possibly even by like April, May. Or something like that. So it, let's say the OHL is playing in April, May, because that's the only league that hasn't really played. The WHL is going to start. You know, if those leagues are playing, and that's really the last couple holdouts, right? Because college hockey, there has been college hockey. There, the USHL has kind of gone through it. The Finnish league has played through a stop and a start. The Swedish league has played. You know, 
these leagues can be scouted. I mean, you're not able to go in person, but you can watch them. You know, yeah. I know video and, scouting and, isn't great, but Tommy does only video scouting, and his 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 stuff is not terrible. Like, and there's guys, me, and there's much better people than me, and we have those people on our podcast sometimes. Like, we'll scout, you know, and like, and so I mean, scouting is better. Tom and, and Scott Wheeler and Chris Peters, who has started a Substack, by the way, and uh, I, I, right. if I had money, I would subscribe to it. I do not have money at this point. I'm waiting for my stimulus check. Um, like if they can do the things that they do right without having to really be there in person, then I don't see why the in general consensus is we can do it in July. It's not ideal, but nothing about this season is ideal. We're playing in divisions that we made up and we're having to postpone tens of games at a time because of horrible COVID outbreaks. And we're just doing this season on the fly. Nothing's ideal. Let's just do. Let's just take our lumps and do it. And let's think about what we're talking about. We're talking about the NHL draft, where for the most part, NHL general managers get it wrong. So we're not talking about something where they're used to this sort of level of consistency and data, and they get it right all the, most of the time. So. Um, you know, I don't understand how much more wrong can they get it? You're, you're still going under the same principle of how does this player project five years out, right? Seven years out. What are, what are they going to be when they get to the NHL? Do I have a development path? Do I know where I can put them? Do I know that I can get them there? Do we have the skill coaches and all of that to, to make this player worthwhile? Is this player's personality? Is this a character guy that fits our team and our mold? You know, all of that stuff. I don't understand why you can't do that through Zoom calls and other stuff like that. I mean, I know it's not great and everything, but everybody's in the same boat. And you only need – you in most years, you know, you're not, you're not getting 100 looks at a guy anyway. You're basing it off of three or four really good games, a couple good conversations, looking at his trades, breaking uh, his skill traits, and breaking down his film and saying, yeah, we can work with this. I really like this guy. And then drafting I mean, yeah, him. Yeah, you, you can't see everybody, and even the best scouts right. don't see everybody. Like, and, and to me, I understand why you'd want to do it, but there are, there are other questions, and I think Elliot Friedman brought him up. It's like, what about, you know, there are contractual issues that become an issue. There are issues regarding the CBA and transfer agreements. Like if you delay the draft, do what other cans of worms are you opening up? Are you, are you making this problem more complicated than it needs to be? I am a big fan of Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is the right one. And to me, unless the pandemic gets demonstrably worse. And again, it could, we don't know how this is going to evolve. There are new strains out there that are, are obviously bad, but if some of the projections that this lightens in a very considerable way with vaccines and such, I don't see why you can't do it in July, take your lumps and say 2022, we go back to normal. I'm sorry about the 2021 class. The 2020 draft was held in October, right? Many of those guys had not played a hockey game since March. And yet I, they had right. plenty of information, but yeah, they, they didn't have a seven months. They didn't have all this stuff and they still were able to do it. And a lot of teams are probably still happy with their prospects and stuff right now. At least on social media, they're, they, they are I mean, all listen, marketably listen. happy. I mean, the Panthers don't have an AHL affiliate this season, and that sucks. 
Right. You know, like things are not ideal. Yeah. I think we have to, I think that sometimes we always try to make it the most ideal, but sometimes I think we just have to say, what is the simplest explanation here? And, right. if, if, and, and uh, if I was in a position, I would say, listen, we got to just take our lumps, do this in July, deal with it and move on. We get more normal if we do it that way. Because remember, the league's also got to deal with a TV contract that they're negotiating right now. They have to get Seattle into the league. I would think that the draft being in December or next year complicates it further. All right, you're going to tell the Seattle Kraken who are coming into the league, you don't actually have any prospects until after your first season or yeah. middle and, of the and, way through your first season. And, and in a league that's morphing and more younger and younger that yeah, seeing, I, like that's, that's why I think another reason why it should be July is because like, listen, as much as I don't think the league should bend over for one team, like, you want to set Seattle up as best you can, even in the worst of the situation. There, aren't there other ways around it? Like, I mean, again, what is postponing it to December going to do if, you know, you could post, you know, you could postpone it maybe to August or September, and in July or something, do a like a prospect camp or something. And that's something that was brought you know, up. I, like I don't see why you couldn't do like, that. I, I'm, I'm not for doing something to give teams better data or, but I think you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is it. You know, again, you're making your, you're buying lottery tickets. Teams have their process. They have the developmental leagues. They prefer they they have the guy you know they have the types of skill sets they prefer, and you know just let them go up to the board and take their pick, and and get on. I, with I, it. I don't understand how like I know that they haven't necessarily played, but as long as you know you have something, you know which they're gonna have because they're because these leagues are gonna play, you know, you and you can set up a camp right. I know that with the COVID logistics, it is tricky, but is it any trickier than delaying the draft and having to do all these contractual hoops when you just signed a new CBA, you know, that was a very tough negotiation and getting back to play was a tough negotiation. As I said, like, I don't think the league wants to open up another can of worms when they've already got so many things on their plate, finishing this season, TV deal, Seattle, you know, that's a lot. And adding the draft to it is another thing. And I know as somebody pointed that the general managers run the league. And, like, part of me is like, well, sometimes the GMs have to, you know, realize, if, you know what, sometimes I have to go out of my comfort zone. If I'm just... a, if I'm so a if GM you're a GM right of now, a team that sucks, maybe I'm, you'd be if, for well, it. If I'm a, if, well, I mean, if I'm a GM of any team, I'm telling my, I, I'm telling my owner and everything we want this year because I would believe in what I'm doing and, and think if everybody else wants to delay it, I'm going to pick up seven or eight good players this year. The, like, the I think it's like the delaying, it says to draft. me, like the GM can't like make the decision. He doesn't trust his own process with limited data sort of thing. Like he doesn't trust himself as much. Yeah. Uh, and well, I think it's just risk adverse. And to me, I would try to capitalize on other teams being risk adverse and just say, okay, if they're not ready for the draft, I want the draft. Yeah, I, but I part of me thinks like, you know, a good team is going to be like, listen, hey, yeah. they might misevaluate. We can get better players. Like, yeah. 
I hope yeah. Dino's like that. Like, I mean, yeah, we might not have the best less... idea, but we trusted our yeah. what we're doing. I mean, that means you'll see, you know, I think you'll see more mistakes. And to me, that means the guys that I prefer, will, they'll be more around. I was when reading I one. It. What was the guy? Was it William Eklund? I couldn't remember who it was that somebody said was compared to Victor Hedman. Oh, uh, Simon Edmondson. Simon, okay. Yes. And I, um, I mean, well, I mean, there, I don't know. There's a lot of I, – I, I think – for me, Edvinson is the best defender in this class because if I'm thinking about this class, I'm thinking potential. I'm not thinking – I mean, Owen Power is great. He's on the older end of this draft class, and he's in the NCAA, and he's – but there's concerns. But if you're thinking about just total skill set, Edvinson could be a Rasmus Dahlin type. You know, Mira Heiskanen, uh, Victor Hedman – type defenseman and i don't understand why that wouldn't be in the top three players in this draft top four players in this draft and he's constantly in nine and tens and that's another reason i want the draft this year because he's getting he's looking better and better as he gets more comfortable in the second league in sweden um and the secret's going to be out pretty soon i don't i don't want other teams getting more looks into these european guys um you you essentially want to keep your finders fee yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. Fair enough. Is there anything else that you I, found I mean, even interesting? Even if it means you... I'm going to miss more, and you know, but I know that it, it, the draft it just takes the one or two hits, and you, I would be confident, given seven or eight swings at it this year, I, I could find two or three mm-hmm. NHL players, and, and and one really good one, I think. I have to, by the way, uh, I just saw an article I really want to read, so I think we should wrap this up. But I think these are good discussions on the on the Panthers and, and on the draft and a lot of other things. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, head out of here? I'm very surprised with uh, how it seems a lot of teams are not performing well in New Jersey's. This is outside Florida. Well, they look not great in the. They're zero and two in their uh, in the reverse retros, which, by yeah. the way, they look spectacular. They are There's, beautiful on the ice. They just don't yeah. play well in them, apparently. Yeah, and like the Vegas, the Chrome buckets, and Oof. I, 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 there's a lot oh, of like, no, 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 there's no. a lot of like new uniform choices and stuff that aren't doing well as far as reception and even the win loss column, but. Um, talk, speak, you know, wrapping it up with the point we started with, eh, I, I don't mind taking those chances. I don't mind <laughs> taking those chances either. I have to say, you know what, the ones that really look good on the ice, and I, unfortunately we don't have time to talk about the mess of the Arizona Coyotes. We'll save that for another time. Um, the Coyotes reverse retro uniforms, spectacular. Yeah. They look so good. Wonderful. Yeah. And, I mean, you see the highlights, and they have the big half-crescent moon, at center ice, they're wearing the Kachina jerseys. Their owner might be a bit of an um, idiot, it turns out, but at least it turns out that he can pick good uniforms. You know, it's really also nice that you're watching an owner and you're going, okay, it's not Vinny Viola, thank God. You can say the same about Pagula and Buffalo right now. Oh, I think, boy, the I Sabres. think they're at year 10 or something right now. Oh, God, the Sabres. I, 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 I saw multiple people posting comments, I want my cardboard cut out out of the arena. 
Like somebody posted the, a, a, a post on Facebook. I saw like, I want my, my grandmother just died. I want the cardboard cut out of arena. We can't insult her anymore in death. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Jeff Skinner, healthy scratch. Good Lord. There, uh, there's definitely, it's like every other year. Uh, there's definitely teams falling on their faces and some guys getting shown the door. Uh, Nashville is that other team, though. man. Nashville's that other team. Like it, it, I mean, you watch them play against, I mean, the Panthers the first time, and I was like, this team sucks. I think I think Vancouver is one of those teams, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely Vancouver is one of those teams. And it turns out that when you get rid of good hockey players, you aren't, and you have to, you know, keep around Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter, you're not going to be good anymore. It's funny how that works. Oh, yeah. That I do have to say, is. congratulations. I mean, last year uh, when the when the, when Ottawa came back to win 6-5 after coming down from 5-1 and Evgeny Dadunov scored the winner, I think it was the same night the Panthers won in Tampa. I was like, ah, this is the greatest night in Panthers history, <laughs> which which amused me. Um, I think that, that 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 team is that Ottawa too, man. I mean, but the, but the whole Canadian division is, I think you pointed it out, um, on the Y Hockey, uh, or somebody pointed out on the Y Hockey Twitter page, um, that, uh, or you pointed out to me, I think it was just like this. This is like the '80s. Nobody plays yeah. defense in the Canadian division. Yeah, I mean, definitely good individual offensive performances and team offensive performances too. But uh, oh, the games are fun to watch I, because they're would, pond hockey. Yeah, I mean, there is, and it's not good defense, just high scoring it's <laughs> there's a lot of just like comical turnstile defensive guys who just like turn this way then that way then that way then back around and they spin and fall on the ice like it it's kind of globe trotteries uh, uh, so you're saying the senators are the washington generals uh except when they play the leafs and then the leafs are. Or, or apparently when they play montreal yeah the Canadians, uh, I, I, Canadians, like, is, is there really one good Canadian team though? If Toronto. we think about it, Toronto. no, like, but like, uh, are they good though? Like, are they like, are they? Well, here's the thing: we aren't gonna know until they get to the conference finals right. or whatever we're calling them when but they play. Pro- but if you look at all the other conferences, they have good playoff teams. Not so of the North. Um. Well, congrats to the Leafs. You're going to win a playoff series this year, kind of by default. Hopefully. I, I mean, if they don't win it this year, then yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in Toronto but I mean, if like, they don't win it this year. You'll never really get that sort of opinion because we are, um, you know. The Americans. It, it's, a Cana- it's a Canadian-centric sport. And the Canadian media dictates narrative and dictates perception of the sport. So there are... You know, it that le you know, the Selkie winner is probably gonna be like Matthews or McDavid and I'm gonna laugh on my off my Well the award like, somebody gonna... pointed out with the I think Merrick actually pointed it out with awards predictions, like what's gonna happen this year with awards because of the Canadian division and it's like Jonathan Huberto could get heart votes, you know, Aaron Eckblad could get Norris votes, Barkoff could in theory get Selkie votes, you know, like all of these players, I'm not saying they're gonna win them. But well, like, I mean, I think Barkov getting Selkie vote. It's like Barkov might have a chance to win a Selkie now. I think. Yeah, you know, I think or, he, or he like goes from me. votes to chance of winning. Yeah, yeah, like maybe it does or maybe it doesn't. But I think like Friedman mentioned it at some point. I'm like, I'm just not watching the U.S. teams enough because they never. Because one of the reasons, 
the ways you get the way the NHL cycle works is that when a team goes into Toronto or a team goes on an Eastern Canadian road trip, you know, the Canadian media will get a chance to figure out here's what's going on with that team. Well, now the only six teams that come through Toronto are the teams they cover anyway. So a team, for a team like the Panthers, who had the best points percentage in the league or one of the best points percentages in the league, they're not coming to Toronto so you don't hear about it for two days. You know what I mean? Like, there isn't yeah. that, that, that buffer, that little buff up you get when you go on that road trip, you know, or if you're going on a road trip to New York or you're going on a road trip to Boston, you know, where that's, where that is heightened. Like, the Tampa-Florida game, like, the, uh, the, the Panthers-Hurricanes game, and we'll end on this, it was a wonderful hockey game. It was a ton of fun to watch, entertaining all of it. But it happened at 5 on a Wednesday afternoon. So who's paying attention? You know, it's like, that's, that's the problem. Like, the Panthers right now do not have a national TV game scheduled. How are people going to see this team, yeah. you know, however good they actually are, if you're not going to put them on national TV? You know, like, that's the, that's the thing. Like, you, you have to at least, you know, we have to give as much as we can to all these, you know, divisions and all these teams. And it's like, for me, I know pretty well who what's going on in the Central, but when I look at what's going on in, say, the East Division, because I don't follow it as closely, there's a lot less than I know, and I'm looking at it like the Kings are playing really well right now, and I would not know because I just haven't watched them, you know, because they're playing in another division, and it's it's hard to follow at all, and I understand yeah, that. Yeah, this year they're more – it's more like they're different leagues versus – I, I mentioned that with, with Sean Tierney, who uh, – and, the and then the playoffs are what? Going to be like a – The same thing. Uh, segregated champions league almost it could be like champion kind of like champions league groups in yeah. some ways as i watch the champions league but it's very it's very interesting and uh say listen the season is better that the panthers are good at least by uh definition they are not an 86 point bubble you, team anymore are you shocked though since all they've done is add sweets <laughs> well you know what <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. Well, I mean, Finn's hey, listen, you know, I, 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 I do not – we don't go based on nationalities here, but the Panthers had been kind of Swede light, and now this year they have, like, at times are playing a lineup with four Swedes they on it. They have a it. healthy dose of it. It's yeah, a much it's healthier a dose thing. of Swedes, a much healthier dose of Finns. There was a time this year they had five Finns in the lineup, and I texted one of our friends, and uh, you, and we, you know what friend I'm talking about. Frowny face emoji. Five fins uh, in the lineup. I um, I I'm really excited to see what Heponiemi wants to do. Uh, you know, if he can come back and Denisenko seems to be doing okay with the Syracuse crunch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can say I'm losing patience, but I, I, I'm definitely just want to see a little more movement. Um. Because it's not like Hep- Hepo Niemi's played three games, I think. I don't think he's played any more. But the last I saw, he was four assists in three games in the AHL. Well, I'd rather – and this is – and again, like they're playing on an AHL team that is not their own AHL team. Right. <laughs> they're not playing on their own AHL team. So it's, that's the other thing. Like For me, it might be a good sign. Like If they're playing in this well in this situation, which is ostensibly awful – because they don't have their own affiliate this season. You know, like, again, and also, we're not talking about this team having a lack of options. We are now going to the surplus of options. That's that's spectacular. So, I'll take that. Anyway, uh, we will be back with more Y Hockey soon. 
Uh, and at least you're not Lazio hey, getting hey, four um, nilled against Bayern. Have Munich. you have you noticed that Noel Chari's been injured? Because no one seems to have noticed Noel Chari's being injured. So maybe that means Noel Chari, while a good and worthwhile hockey player, isn't the bee's knees. Ah, yes, I have definitely noticed that. Maybe, may, I mean, it means like he doesn't have to always like again. It means he can get ma- his games managed. He can sit them out. He, you know, for the rotation. Okay, I'm really done talking about. It. It's, it's fine. I think we get the point. But it's good. We have to say our point. That's why we have this podcast. We can say our point. Good night and good hockey.